Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. It's time to get started. And, you know, I love it when the Holy Spirit, um, in his wisdom and his uh, sovereign grace, allows us to come upon a passage that's perfect for the Sunday. You know, see, if you're just joining us, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And, you know, uh, we didn't plan for Christmas, but uh, Christmas planned for us. And uh, we have a great passage that captures the whole heart of the gospel and the reason Jesus came and the spirit behind his coming today in Romans chapter 12. Heavenly Father, as we consider these very difficult exhortations to love our enemies, to do good to those who persecute us, to bless those who insult us, to be kind to those who are unkind, to love the unlovely. Lord, we we just say right from the start, there's no way we can do that. That's against every uh, natural inclination that we have. But it is the way that you love. And it's the way you want us to love. So we're going to need your help. And we just want to confess we can't do it. We ha- we're not good at it. And we need to become good at it to please you. In Christ's name, amen. amen. During the Protestant Reformation, many heroes were born. Let me tell you about one of them and what he did to become so famous. It was the winter of 1569, and the place was Holland. The Bible had just come out in print, so the common people could read and understand. And as a result, many people were coming to Christ and becoming born again. And those adults wanted to be rebaptized because uh, they were following the scriptures. But the problem was it was a capital offense by the church at Rome that really ruled with great power over Western Europe. But Christians who got saved wanted to be baptized anyway and formed their little gatherings, and that they did. And one of them was Dirk Willems, W-I-L-L-E-M-S, you note takers. I've got a slide that kind of shows you, shows you a little bit of the story and where this is headed. So... He went on with his happy gathering of like-minded believers, and he was arrested, locked away in prison, and awaited his execution for heresy. And he managed to escape, though, through an open window. And he got out, and he was fleeing there over the countryside, and he fled across a 
frozen lake. And one of the nastier guards, one of the guards that really was particularly cruel to him was in hot pursuit. And while Dirk made it across the pond, unfortunately for the guard, the ice gave way. There were loud screams and cries for help as he plunged into the water and he was drowning. So Dirk had a decision to make. He could flee to freedom or turn back and help him. And he turned back and saved the guard's life, getting him safely to the shore. Well, news of this spread all over. People were amazed and wondered what prompted this crazy man to do an act of kindness to somebody who was hunting him down like a dog. And so Dirk cited this very section of Romans, Romans chapter 12, bless those who persecute you. And he would say that God expects us to love his enemies, love his enemies and our enemies. And love does not allow a man to drown no matter who he is. And so what Dirk did is still talked about some 500 years later because it's an amazing kind of love. It's a love that we don't have here. It's a love that doesn't come natural to us. When someone slaps you in the face, you want to slap them back, right? You don't want to bake them a cake. And so uh, (laughs) that as you do, you cross off the Christmas list. Those have been naughty, right? And uh, that's that. It had Jesus done that, we wouldn't have a Christmas because the whole world had been naughty. So the Bible says. So it's this kind of love that God has and demonstrated. It's this kind of love that God expects of us. He commands it of us. And it's this kind of love that Christmas is all about. That while we were God's enemies, Christ came into the world to die for us that we might be reconciled back to him in love, the greatest, most precious gift of all, eternal life. But I would argue that even greater is the gift of Christ himself, our Savior. So last week here in Romans 12, we were told how God's love is to be shown to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And now Paul via the Holy Spirit's inspiration, tells us how God's love is to be shown to those who are hostile and against us and have done us harm. Verses 17 through 21, as we close out the chapter together here, chapter 12, starting at verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. And here's the whole point of the passage. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
We'll leave that up a bit so we can marinate our sin-sick souls in it. Souls that just want to slap back and yell back and match fire for fire. Oh, yeah, you think you hurt me? <laughs> you don't know hurt. You know, so that's the kind of thing we struggle with. And unfortunately, Christians struggle too because the old nature in us never does get saved. That's why it has to be reckoned dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, crucified daily, as it were, in the spiritual sense of that word. And so what we have before us really is what God wants from us as a response to his great mercy. So the first half of Romans, uh, the book of Romans has been telling us all the wonderful mercies, the immeasurable mercies of God on our behalf, all the wonderful things God has done for us. And now it's time to talk about all the wonderful things we can do for him. And one of them, that's at the top of the list, is to not retaliate, to be sweet-hearted people, all the time, no matter what. In the highs and in the lows. When people are nice and when they're not. Because it's just who we are. It's just who we are. It's not something he's asking you to do. It's something he's trying to make us to be. This is the kind of people we are because that's the kind of Lord we serve. And that's the spirit who's in us. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice, the gospel, and believes, and figuratively speaking, and opens the door of his heart, I will come into him by my spirit. So the spirit of this kind of love lives in us and our only challenge. And it's a great one to be able to yield to him so that he can love through us in these supernatural ways. And so the... I do like to point out as we get started here that these are New Testament commands. They're not suggestions. There's no options, no loopholes, no justifications, no taglines, no small print, no voice of some announcer who speaks really, really fast at the end, you know, who comes in on all the commercials and tells you where all the promises are void and prohibited. There's none of that going on here. It's just straight up thou shalt. And thou shalt not. And New Testament commands are not meant to save us because we're already saved by grace. They can't save you. What command can save you? Nothing can save you because you can't keep the command. So it's it's not that our salvation depends on, these are commands, but your well-being, your, your, your fellowship with God, your own uh, effectiveness and pro- productivity for God. Everything depends on keeping God's commands. Even if they can't save us, even if we won't lose our salvation, we'll lose so much. We'll lose reward. There's a reward in heaven for faithful behavior. So that's the context here. What the passage looks like really is telling us, here's the point. The point is verse 21, don't be overcome by evil. Don't let it get to you. Don't become like them. Don't let evil win by letting it infest your heart and then you're just like them, but rather overcome evil with good. Now you might be asking, well, how do I do that? Oh, verses 17 through 20 
tell you exactly what the summary statement just said. And so we're going to take our time, divide uh, verses 17 through 20 in half, and take a look at this. The first half is going to be, we overcome evil with good when we let peace rule the day, verses 17 through 18. And then secondly, we'll finish up with the last two verses, 19 and 20. We overcome evil with good when we let love rule our hearts. So we let peace rule the day and we let love conquer our hearts and our enemies will become our friends or so that is the point. And so there you have it, point one, letting peace rule the day. That's sort of the point here as we take a closer look now. And so allowing peace to rule the day, first you have to allow the Prince of Peace to rule your heart. So nothing ever happens if you're new to Christianity. Nothing happens to a, uh, it is never, God is never asking a person who didn't know him to start acting good. He wants to meet you, change you, raise you up to new life, and then these commands help as a template to show you this is the new life. If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so that's really the point to live at peace with everyone is because we've made peace with God. The spirit of Christ raises us up. There's no more guilt and shame and fear and insecurity. So we're able to live with everyone in peace because we've made peace with God. This is an important context here. Receiving forgiveness for our evil deeds is the basis for the motivation and the mandate behind this non-retaliatory spirit that God says must characterize our life. So in other words, the context for this is, hey, start loving your enemies. No, start realizing who you are and what's been done for you. And then with the same mercy and love that you've been shown, at Christmas time, I love watching Christmas Carol, George C. Scott version. It's the best. Don't argue with me. You're going to lose. <laughs> Man, when he wakes up and really kind of, long story short, and with a little flip, you know, he realizes that he averted uh, his destiny to hell. Right, And he sort of has a conversion. And from that conversion, oh, you know, the money's flowing, the gifts, and it doesn't matter anymore who was against him. He's happy. I call it the Ebenezer effect. And if you know Christ and you're not going to hell anymore and your sins are wiped away because of the Lamb of God who came into the world at Christmas time to bear your sins, he just was a sponge for the wrath of God so that that wrath would not fall on you but on him and all he asks of you is to look to him that's all we can do and he says oh, then I'll come in and raise you to new life and the new life is a life that loves like no other love that will love even it's enemy. So he says there in your first verse, do not repay 
anyone evil for evil. Well, where would you get the evil to respond to if God has taken the evil away or that you've crucified that evil? How could you reach into your heart and respond to evil done to you, reach in and pull some evil out? You're not supposed to be doing that. You're the one who said, you know, I died with Christ. My baptism showed me I'm done with that kind of thing. So there's no, <laughs> the Holy Spirit with the flaming uh, sword is guarding the locked box of that which was once at your disposal. The evil within. You don't have access to that anymore, Christian. But if it comes super easy and you have 24-7 access to evil to pay back the evil that's been given or shown you, then the, uh, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> you look like them, you talk like them, you act like them, you're as profane as they are, you're as devious as they are, you're as spiteful and aggressive and hateful as them. Oh, well, then the Bible would argue with you. Did you meet Christ? Is the Spirit of Christ in you? That's what it is. Retaliating in like manner is very natural. That's why he said, don't do it. But it's not very helpful. Evil added to evil equals more evil. <laughs> You're called to be the answer. You're called, I'm called to make things better, not worse. We're called to break the cycle, not keep it going, right? So it's like, well, who's going to break the cycle, you know? It's always somebody else's job. It's your job to break the cycle. And, you know, that's all that happens in this world is, 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 is that they can't seem to make it better. They perpetuate the problem. And this is beautifully illustrated uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 7 uh, during the whole plague thing with Moses, right? So plague number one. They worshiped the god, goddess of the Nile. And so God took the goddess out, symbolically speaking, with turning the water to blood, right? So the, the magicians came into Pharaoh's court and says, hey, no problem. We could do the same thing. Watch. And they turn water to blood. And it's kind of like I could hear the Pharaoh say, you know, I didn't want more blood. What I was looking for is you guys could reverse and take the blood away. But oh, and then uh, they still didn't get it. Uh, so uh, plague number two, right, is frogs. So the frogs come out. It's a plague of frogs. Frogs get into their beds, it says. It gets into their kneading bowls. Frogs are everywhere. So they go out, the magicians, they go out and they said, you know how we're going to respond? We're going to go out and find a place where there's no frogs and watch this, Pharaoh. Frogs! We can do more frogs. Even we can do that. And Pharaoh's like, listen, you do that again? I'm going to put you in the Nile with the frogs. And so you never hear from them again. They don't do anything more like that. And my humble opinion is because Pharaoh said, are you crazy? What are you making? More frogs, more blood. And that's what we do when we take evil for evil. There's no answer. There's always just making a bigger mess, bringing in more flies, more gnats, more fire, more hate, more hate, more cussing. That's not who we are. 
unless it is who you are, then you have to grapple with that and come to know him. Bring the answer. Not more of the problem. So Jesus says, here's how you fix it. And so these words are echoing from the gospel, which is out. These words were written, let me see, 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So the gospel's out. So let me show you what's been (laughs) published already uh, here in Mark. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus speaking, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth in the Old Testament, but they didn't understand that. In fact, let me explain to you what eye for eye and tooth for tooth meant because the world really doesn't understand it there in Exodus chapter 21. Uh, Laws were given, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, dynamic, uh, was to prevent unjust retribution. So a guy would steal somebody's shovel and the guy would burn his barn down. All right, no, 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 no. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Did it mean uh, you blinded somebody for somebody blinding you? It meant that the punishment should fit the crime. A misdemeanor fine for a misdemeanor offense instead of uh, something. That's what it means, right? And so we'll go on. He says, yeah, don't go crazy with vengeance, but I'm going to tell you, why not just let it go? Why don't we go a cut above the gracious Old Testament law? Why don't we go a, 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 a cut above? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek. This does have a significance uh, with insulting. It is an idiom about insulting. I don't think God uh, minds when we defend ourselves. And if any, physically speaking, and verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, can you have the spirit of just throw the coat in as well? 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, could you say, excuse me, sir, I'd like to, to help you out and go a second mile. Blow their minds. Oh, it's not in the uh, text there. <laughs> verse 42. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor. That's in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and hate your enemy. That was an add-on by the rabbis. You will never find that in the Bible. The Old Testament is just the opposite. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you might be children of your father in heaven. He goes on to say, listen, Task collectors, prostitutes, who, who ha, ha, were nicknamed as the lowest of the low. He said, they love people who love them. You've got the spirit of God in you. How are you any different from anybody else? Could you please show me some kind of difference between you and an unregenerated soul who loves the attractive, loves guys who gives gifts, loves people who are beautiful and talented and can do something for you. Where are my people who love the socially awkward, who love needy people, 
who love the loser so-called in this life. Where are my people with my spirit and my heart? Where are they? Where are they? He says. And so we move on. Thank you for that. We can go back to the verses. Let's bump it up a notch. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you've got me in your life. I want you to just kind of let it go and trust me in general, all things being equal. And so we decrease, God increases in our lives. And when self is small, listen to this, offense is small. When self is big and people are full of themselves, an offense is everything. But if you're crucified with Christ and it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you, well, there's not much to offend because you're about this big in the, in the equation. For you to live is Christ, to die is gain. For you, yeah, Colossians 3 and verse 3 is true of you. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. There's not much to offend there. The more offendable you are, the more immature you are in your walk with Christ. That's why the Bible says it is to a man's glory to overlook an offense. That's the spirit of Christmas. That's the spirit that lives within us. It says, be careful now to do what is right in everyone's eyes. I love this because he's saying, the way you respond when you are laying down your rights and uh, loving people who are not loving you is a Christian witness. And so here in the verse, be careful means to think beforehand. Be, think beforehand and do what's right in the eyes of everybody, whoa. So what is he saying? Even in the world, they know that vigilantism is wrong. So you are bound by your reaction when you're aggressed, when you're offended, when somebody does something to rub you the wrong way or hurt you, you are limited in your options to that which is right in the eyes of everyone. It says that includes the world. And so what it's saying is even the world knows what's evil and not evil, and you are bound to only, your only option to respond to an offense is goodness. Good, right, clean, noble, just, true. Those are your only options. You can't reach into the bag and pull out evil because of people watching. Be careful, think beforehand. Before you go, oh, I'm going to slap you back, you start thinking, I'm a Christian what does this look like when I do whatever it is you're planning to do? You have to stop and think what your action will say of your Christian testimony to those who are watching, to those who will receive your evil payback. God cares about them. <laughs> and they know. They know what's right and what's wrong. <laughs> Politician just said on national news, when they go low, we go high. Now, <laughs> that's really cool if it were true of them. <laughs> but within 10 minutes, 
That person was already slandering somebody in a most profound way and a most profane one at that. So what the Bible's saying is even they know, even non-Christians know that it would be admirable for you to go high if somebody goes low. It would have been more accurate had that person said, when they go low, we go lower. (laughs) And that's what God says. Do my people do that? You want to see low? I'll show you low. You didn't invite me to the party, you're not getting invited to the wedding. We play these stupid games that we've inherited from them and from our own wicked hearts. Jesus said, it's time to do things my way, people. It's time to to be one with me, not with the world. Stop this madness. Amen? Amen. So uh, we have to follow him. When he was reviled and insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he entrusted himself who judges rightly. This is our role model. So when you get unjustly criticized or offended or aggressed in some way, you follow Jesus. You don't threaten back. You don't retaliate. You don't pay back evil for evil. You don't stoop to their level. You let it go and trust God who sees the whole thing, who's on the case, and he never loses a case. And he's for you. He's working. And that's one of the reasons. And then he says... This is all leading to we strive for the things that make peace, verse 18. The Bible's realistic. (laughs) He says, listen, if it's possible, because it's not always, because it takes two to tango. As far as it depends on you, the only person you can control is yourself. That's just marriage counseling 1A. You cannot control the other person. Amen? Hello. <laughs> you have your um, busy, I'm, I'm busy thinking about this look on your face. <laughs> you cannot control. So he says, if it's possible, it's not always. Do everything on your part to bend over backwards. What? To facilitate peace, not roil everybody up and go with the flow. And whoa, we've got another problem. Let's spread it and make it bigger and fan those flames. Oh, she's at it again. Oh, here we go. Get out the kerosene and get the fans going so we can get it up and running and then you can be vindicated and you're right about them and all of that nonsense, he says. If it's possible, and it is in this case, on your end, to do everything you can do to take the mountain and make it a molehill not taking the molehill and building and making it better and bigger and grander and all of this. Listen, we are not the troublemakers. We are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. And if you're not called the sons of God, you're not going to heaven. And the sons of God are defined by a characteristic in their lives that they make peace. They take every situation and say, 
They don't compromise with sin. They don't compromise with falsehood. They don't compromise with abuse. They don't compromise with theological craziness. But as far as it depends on them, they're diffusing. They're disarming. They're quieting. They're shushing. They're spinning it back. All of these petty things that instead of pitting it, spinning it back, they're just fanning it and, and propping it up for all the world to see. My word, Noah and his sons. Noah, not in my notes. Noah had too much to drink one night. The Bible just says, look, he's not perfect. And he fell asleep forgetting to put on his jammies. And he's laying there in a compromised position. And one of the sons sees it and says, oh, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Noah's going to build a boat. And, he, you know, he's drunk in there and, you know, walked in there. Oh, you know what I saw? And the two other boys, they're peacemakers. They don't publicize somebody's nakedness. They cover it up and walked into the tent backwards with a blanket and covered up dad, who they should honor, and said, I'm not here to expose my father and his sins or my brother and his sins. Now, there are things that need to be dealt with. Of course, we have the pastoral epistles for all of that common sense stuff. But the general rule is to be a disarmer, a coverer over. And that's what he says here. So he says, you do you, I'll do me. You keep your heart clean of hate and vengeance and let me deal with the evildoers. You be part of the answer. May people run into you and may there be peace in your wake and not chaos. Not people upset and filled with more things to talk about and more drama and more drama. And some people, they just thrive on drama. I think I have a quote about this somewhere. It's not there. I turned two pages at once. That would have been lucky for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I caught it. Here's the quote. Some seemed hooked on drama. Conflict is a nice distraction for them. So these churchgoers make choices to perpetuate problems rather than put an end to them. They live their whole lives drawn to conflict, making things worse, spreading gossip and riling feathers instead of covering over offenses, diffusing the situation by being who Christ wants us to be, those who soothe, those who silence, those who cover over, those who calm, those who disarm. In other words, being his children, being peacemakers. That's who we are. One writer said, you're either gathering with him or scattering. Which is it? So live at peace because of Christ, with Christ, and make peace for Christ. That's who we are. And listen, who is he? He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. 
Let him reign and rule in your heart and through your life. Amen. So we overcome evil by letting peace rule the day. And now we let love conquer our hearts and our enemies. Moving on to 19 and 20. Don't take revenge or repetition here, my friends. Leave room for God's wrath, his judgment, for it's written, and he quotes out of the Old Testament, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord, verse 20. On the contrary, if you find your enemy in some sort of need and you are able to help, then help, because that's what God's love is all about. In doing so, you will bring him to a place of redemption. And we're going to talk about what that means. And so, note takers, here we are at letting love conquer our hearts, a way to overcome evil. So a most helpful truth here that kind of frees me up to let go. It really helps me to know, listen, I may be letting someone off the hook, but I'm really entrusting them then to God who's on the case. You see, that's what says, okay, I can give up my place of vengeance by the word, the, the, and the reason why we are not allowed to take vengeance is in the root of the word. It means to uh, judge on for yourself and to be judge and jury. It means to say, this is the offense. This is my vindication of myself. And here's the sentence for your crime against me. And I will carry that out. He says, oh, no, no, no. I'm the judge. That's my job. Oh, stop trying to get my job, people. It, the vacancy, there's no vacancy there. It's a position filled. You'll have to apply for something Else, you can't have my job, the Lord says. That's my job. Number one, you can't do it. You don't know all the facts. You don't know who that person is. I created them. I know everything about them. I know what I want to do. I know how much vengeance is right. I know whether or not they're going to repent. I know everything about them. So he says, leave room. Are you really going to get involved and mess it up? God says, okay, I just saw what happened. Now God's got a plan, and then you put yours into practice. And now what has to happen? <laughs> Listen, uh, he says, stay out of the way. That's what that means. Stay out of God's way. They're God's creation. They answer to God in the end. He doesn't miss anything. Well, it looks like they're being blessed. What it looks like to you is often not the reality that God knows about and that God is working. Listen to what it says in one of the Proverbs. It says, don't gloat when your enemy falls and do not let your heart rejoice when he stumbles or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from him. Kind of implying now he's going to deal with you about your attitude. You know, he's saying just don't do it because it's going to kind of turn God's attention back to you because you can't have that kind of attitude. Here's where he quotes Deuteronomy 32 and 35. I will take revenge. I will pay them back. But here's the rest of the verse. In due time, their feet will slip. 
Their day of disaster will arrive and their destiny will overtake them. Why does Paul leave that part out? It's just enough for Paul to know that you know that God's on it and that he's going to judge justly, but he leaves out the other line that says, oh, they're on a slippery slope and it's going to be a disaster for them. Why? Because he wants us and God wants this, to share God's heart. That, that although unrepentant sinners will indeed find themselves in a terrible place for all of eternity, that's not God's heart. He says, as, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, Ezekiel 33, verse 11, as surely as I live, taking an oath, he says, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their sins and live and be blessed and be right with me. So that's what he's saying. Listen, yes, ultimately, sinners and bad guys and those who do harm to people who aren't <laughs> reconciled to God in the end will experience tremendous judgment. And even in this life, God makes sure that everybody gets their just desserts, as it were. But he says, could you guys in the meantime share my heart by praying for them, not against them? Jonah found that very difficult with the evil Ninevites, didn't he? And in Jonah chapter 4, the Lord finds him mad and all red-faced with the veins popping. And the Lord says, you're angry? What's, what's your problem? He goes, you bet I am. I'm angry enough to die. What's your problem? Look, where's the destruction on the bad guys? Well, they heard the gospel from your lips and they turned and now I've reconciled with them and are blessing them because they've come to me in faith. Well, I'm not very happy about it. I can see that. <laughs> That's how we are. He says, don't be that way. I want you working on my Side, So you have to love even those who do evil in this world. Love not in the sense that we condone or even have the warm feelings for it. But as a will, as a decisive action, volitional, I will choose to let go. And if called upon, I would even render service to them in love as a gesture of goodwill to win them. That's God's heart. That's what he wants from us. He says, let me decide who in the end goes left and right. I'll take care of that. In the meantime, you pray everyone go right. You live in such a way to draw them and attract them to the light, not away. We don't need your judgment and all your rolling of your eyes and all your, oh, stay away because you've got cooties or whatever it is. Amen. You guys know what cooties are, right? You don't want any cooties <laughs> in, the, in real life, all right? So the wrath of God that he refers to in this verse is the last resort because God is hoping for something uh, better. You know what? <laughs> I thought about this last night. I'm super, super glad that one of those who was victimized by this murderous, uh, self-absorbed, Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus. He killed people like you. He killed dads and Christian mommies. 
And I'm glad that one of the boys in the house didn't say, well, one of the Christian boys rise up and kill him. They could have, and there might have been a sigh of relief and a a few people cheering that Saul of Tarsus, who was a thorn in the side of first century Christianity, persecuting everyone, even into foreign cities. There would have been a sigh of relief. Thank God he's dead. And they would have seen that boy who vindicated his father's death as a hero, some of them. And then we'd be without 13 New Testament books. We'd be without the book of Romans. We'd be without evangelizing the entire Roman Empire because that murderous Saul of Tarsus was disguised. He was disguised as a murderous terrorist, but God knew he was one of the greatest brothers in Christ that would ever live with the biggest heart of love. He's just lost. That's why, one of the reasons why you've got to love like Jesus loves, because you don't know who's who. You don't know. Therefore, your default mechanism is assume he's one of us in disguise. And one day, he'll come to know. And by your loving attitude in this regard, you'll make it more likely that that will happen. Amen? He says, listen, when you do something kind for somebody who's done unkindness to you, it heaps burning coals upon their head. This is really nice. It it means this. It means it creates burning pangs of shame and remorse. It opens them up to humility, to humble themselves, to turn, to rethink things. It unravels people. Listen, kindness, doing kindness is just powerful stuff. Doing kindness in the face of unkindness, wow, it unravels somebody. I close with this illustration. You know, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, uh, for 10 years, King Saul is envious and jealous and murderous and demonized man. He was after King David. For 10 years, he pursued him, hunted him down like some kind of little pheasant in the hills and for 10 years living in caves and all of that. And one day, as it, as it were, God put him in his hands. And Saul was in a place. He didn't realize that David was right behind him. And David was listening to his men say, kill him. Thrust the sword into him. Ten years, he's going to kill us. Kill him. And David said, I won't do it. And he left the cave. And he got down a safe distance away. And David yells out and says, I could have killed you. God put me inches. I had a sword. Everybody was saying, thrust it in his side, man. Make a bloody mess of that evil man, that wretch. Kill him. And I said, no, I will not lay a hand on that man as God is my witness. And here's what Saul said. Is that really you, my son, David? 
Whoa, that's a change. Then he began to cry. So warrior. This is a heartless warrior. And he says to David, you are better. You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you. Now he's blessing him. May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. And in the picture of Dirk now. Who's drowning? In your life, they're going down. And if they drown without Christ, they perish. And yeah, they've done some things and said some things and they live a certain kind of life that makes you want to push away. But God is saying, change your heart and help them. They're drowning. Get over it. Get over yourself. Common sense. You know, you don't put yourself in harm's way. Mary didn't bake a cake for King Herod. Joseph didn't make him a Christmas present, a desk, a new table out of wood. They fled for their lives. There's common sense here. Excuse me. But we've got people, got people around us as far as it depends on you. If at all possible, you do a kindness, can you let them off the hook? You tell them some good news. Can you free your heart of its own rage and bitterness and resentment for the love of Christ, for your own well-being, for the testimony of Christ? Come on. You can through Christ's power. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, first of all, forgive us because we're in some ways really losers in this department. We have all, including myself, we have watched people drown and call out and they are not getting a hand. But Lord, thank you that we can have epiphanies. We can have changes of heart. We get them every day. When we seek you, Lord, we, you, you readjust us, God. You take us from a place of small-heartedness to large-hearted love that comes from heaven. God, just not our right. God, we belong to you. We got to do life your way. We got to be like you as hard as it is. So help us, Lord. We repent of our sins of not loving like you love and ask for your forgiveness and ask for your grace to start doing it really well and start doing that today. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, all right, God bless you. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.